National media continues to promote negative headlines intentionally designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. We want you to hear from the source rather than a misleading soundbite. To keep this conversation going, support us on the lawmatters1030.org website. It's time we listened to and said thank you to those who spend their lives protecting us. Now let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. On the phone, we have Hal Kempfer. He's going to give us an update. And I have to say, Hal, I, I checked my top 100 places to go for fun. Entering the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea it isn't on the list. <laughs> so well, what's up with that? Am I yeah, missing out? Well, well, we had a uh, uh, Travis, a young uh uh, private second class in the Army. He was over there on rotation with 4th Infantry Division. His battalion was over there. Uh, he's, a, he's a scout, which means he's uh, dismounted infantry or he's infantry that's assigned to a, uh, an armored vehicle, and, uh, and they dismount and, and do stuff. Well, that's kind of beside the point. He, he ended up getting himself in a little bit of trouble over in South Korea and was in uh, the Huskow, so to speak, uh, in South Korea, South Korean jail from, from all reports. And he got released, and they were going to send him back to the state to stand military justice. And it wasn't clear if it was uh, court-martial or some form of non-judicial punishment. But he was, he was escorted to the airport, to the terminal, and apparently the MPs were not allowed to take him into the terminal building itself because of all the security rules, because they're armed. So they let him into the terminal and, uh, you know, get him onto the plane. He gets in there and says, well, I don't want to go face military justice in the U.S. And he, and he took off. And he made his way to Panmunjom to that little village that's on the uh, – the border, the the DMZ there, and he got himself on a regular like tourist tour of the Panmunjom demilitarized village, and that's the only place on the whole zone where you don't have minefields or razor wire. You have some buildings where the South Koreans, the U.S. and North Korea routinely meet and conduct negotiations, and there's a little brick separation of the border. That's where. Kim Jong-un and, and, and Donald Trump, when he was president, that's where they had met uh, up in that area. And anyway, he, he gets up there and apparently made some sort of laughing noise and ran really fast to the north of the border. And we don't know where he is. You know, we're, he's, he's a U.S. soldier. He's a U.S. citizen. We're calling him a detained individual, but he's detained of his own volition because he effectively defected to North Korea. It, um, it just makes no sense. I, I don't get not, it. <laughs> it's not the first time. It's it's not. It's very infrequent. Uh, but it's not the first time that a, a soldier who's had a lot of problems in their life, usually with the military, has decided to uh, that was in Korea has decided to go north. Although, in every, it's, to my knowledge, in every case, whatever was was uh, was troubling them. Uh, in their life became very insignificant once they realized what a horrific decision they just made, and they end up in North Korean custody. And uh, so that's where have have we ever gotten anybody back? Not that we want them back, but have we ever gotten anybody back? Yeah, there was one guy who was over there for shoot, I don't know, say fifty years or something. Fifty came back to the U.S. Yeah, 
Jeez. <laughs> he, uh, and he was he was very upfront that he realized that was a mistake. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> well, interesting. Uh, I I can't believe that somebody would just you know bolt over to North Korea for anything. I mean, well, I don't know what he did that he was going to go through you know a trial or you know being what is it called when you have to leave the military honorably discharged or dishonorably. I think that's what he was looking at was probably what we call a BCD. He was probably facing a bad conduct discharge, which uh, that that haunts anyone who gets a bad conduct discharge. That'll uh, that'll haunt them for the, the rest of their lives uh, because that shows up in any in, you know employment screening or anything else that they uh, the, the the terms with which they left military service. And uh, so I imagine this is going to haunt him for the rest of his life, too. <laughs> well, that's that's bad. Not as bad as defecting to North Korea. And uh, and, and by the way, there's been uh, virtually nothing from North Korea on his status. They haven't been saying anything. Our relationship with North Korea is is not not good at all. Uh, immediately after that, they launched two ballistic missiles. And uh, I think it was probably coincidental, but it did kind of accentuate the point that the tensions are, are very high on the Korean Peninsula. Are and, they working uh, with China? How, well, China's probably their primary backer. That well, China is their primary backer. Uh, that they uh, they basically subsist. They survive because of Chinese uh, support. To them, there's been Russians, a lot of Russian support, probably more Russian support than than most realize uh, for North Korea. But China has been their primary backer, and they basically keep them afloat. The the country is an absolute basket case. You know, it's the one of the poorest countries in the world. People openly starving. They have routine crop failures. They their their industrial it, it, well, their industrial complex isn't very complex. It's very simple, and it doesn't work very well. And they, uh, their medical system is absolutely bereft. It's one of the world's absolute worst. And they took a huge hit on during the pandemic, but nobody knows what the numbers are because they, they've hit it so much. But, they, but all assessments is that once, once COVID got in there, they really had no way to deal with it. They didn't have uh, the sort of uh, health infrastructure that the rest of the world has. They have no vaccines. And so it just ripped right through the population. Wow. And no one's quite sure how many died. So that's yeah. sad. Yep. Well, now I it is. appreciate Yeah, I know, right? And we can't change it. So, no, no, no. Well, I appreciate but, uh, you calling in and letting us, keeping us updated on what's happening with old what's his face that fled to North Korea and we'll never see again. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, well, We'll see what happens there. You know, I mean, uh, every every time they estimate, that, you know, there's there's those that think that Korea is going to collapse, but I I got to tell you, I've been hearing that for a very very long time, and I don't know. I I think the 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 North Korean population has been so thoroughly brainwashed over the last eighty years, yeah, seventy eighty years that they just they they, they don't they know don't another know life. Else. Yeah, that's it. That's all they know. So. It's like some Wait, places hey. in Russia. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. So, uh, well, we, have a great weekend. Hey, you and, too. Uh, okay. All right. We'll talk I'll to you soon. Sure. Right. Okay.
All right, bye. Bye-bye. I want to remind everybody that we are doing a double feature movie. It's free. Get out of the heat. Come to the Burger Theater, and we'll have Q&A afterwards. We're going to feature Childhood 2.0 and Sextortion, The Hidden Pandemic. Every parent, everybody who deals with children should be there and get your questions answered. We'll have a federal prosecutor, a county prosecutor, law enforcement, and everybody needs to know what's going on. So check it out. It's on our website on the events page. And if you want to be there, it's free. Like I said, we want to see you. We want everybody to learn what's going on. Okay, in the studio, we have the founders of Law Enforcement Coaching. We have Tammy Sharp, not related to Danny. Nope. Okay. And we have Chris, say your last name. Zamora. That's what I said. Chris (laughs) Zamora. What is this? Explain what law enforcement coaching is about. So law enforcement coaching is basically life coaching, but it's a hybrid version specifically for law enforcement. We come from law enforcement. Our entire team are law enforcement professionals. So they have the cultural competence and the experience to really be able to understand the mindset. So there are several moving parts to what we do. Uh, We created a training program that we put our vetted people through uh, to become coaches and then we coach law enforcement personnel across the country so how did you become a coach what is your training if you're training others yeah so my background I go back with law enforcement my dad was an outpost deputy sheriff and I grew up learning how to run radar when I was four Um, fast forward to my training for coaching um I have a degree in transformational psychology. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, life coach. I do Reiki and I go what I call like full spectrum woo-woo for most people, but I'm not woo-woo because of the way that I was raised. Um, So we took some of those holistic aspects and we've translated it so it actually makes sense. Um, And I'm going to let Chris introduce himself and his experience, but I do want to do a disclaimer that Coaching is not therapy. Uh, it's not psychiatry. So we do not diagnose, prescribe. We don't give advice. We don't interfere with any kind of medical or therapeutic treatments that are already in place. We're just an additional layer of support um, and another resource that people can talk to. And I'm Chris. Yeah. So my, uh, my law enforcement experience, I did 23 years with the Gilbert Police Department. And during my time, I did different uh, positions, you know, right out of the academy because I was so young, they put me undercover to go back to high school. And so I did that for two, <laughs> yeah, two semesters, 21 Jump Street style, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, so I did that. So I did the deep cover role. And after that, I went to patrol. And, you know, throughout my career, I did uh, uh, undercover narcotics for a second stint. Um, I did internal affairs, robbery, homicide. And with each one of those uh, assignments, I learned that there's a different type of stress with each one. And so uh, right around my 18th year, um, I was a hostage negotiator on the SWAT team, part of CIT, which is a uh, a critical incident, uh, uh, the, the crisis intervention team, sorry. And uh, we were hosting training in the East Valley for all the first responders uh, in CIT. And my I was tasked with teaching about suicide awareness. And so in researching this, uh, I looked up holistic ways that 
first responders could alleviate some of that stress because we don't like to be on prescription medication because it, it alters our our performance, right? So uh, one of the, the uh, modalities that I, I researched was hypnotherapy. And, um, well, let me back up. In doing that research, I looked up stats, FBI stats on officers who were killed in the line of duty for the previous five years. And I believe the, the average came out to about 67 officers yearly were killed. Average. And then I looked up the stats for uh, suicide, active duty officers who committed suicide. And I, I believe the number was right around 160. Right around there. 160 was the average. So I realized, wow, we're not, you know, bad guys aren't killing us. We're killing ourselves. And so that got me on this journey of looking for different modalities to help alleviate that stress, one of which was hypnotherapy. And the more I researched it, the more I became more interested in that in that modality. And eventually I um, went to school and I became a, a clinical hypnotherapist. And then while I was doing that, I became a, a transformational life coach. I had no intention on becoming a, a coach. I just figured being a transformational life coach would help me in my hypnotherapy practice to ask those those important questions and get more information from from my clients. So, do you use a coin and like uh, goes back and forth or a spinning thing uh, that people a pendulum? I, yeah. I do have one. I could use that, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or I can just have it do a count. I mean, there's different ways to do inductions, right? And and that's traditionally that's what most people think. Yeah. So I I decided you know what I'm going to do that. I'm going to use that because that's what people expect. Think. Yeah, that's what they expect. So. Um, and but we are uh, different hypnotherapists have different ways of, of doing inductions. But well, anyway, that's what got me into it. We don't do stage hypno, so we're not going to make anybody cluck like a chicken or do anything weird. We do clinical. I'm so bummed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we could, but we don't. <laughs> so does it work? Absolutely. Um, the when it comes to hypnotherapy, um, you know, we you work with the subconscious, right? And oftentimes, just working with clients, it. Our conscious thought and our subconscious thought, they don't talk to each other. And this is why we develop fears and phobias and these internal blocks, right? And we don't know why. Why is that? Why is it that I'm always thinking this way? Well, at some point in your in your past, you probably experienced something. And you don't remember it, but it's embedded in your subconscious. And by getting the two to talk to each other, this is what as a hypnotherapist this is what we do we have a, a meeting with the conscious and the subconscious and they both talk and communicate. And the moment that happens, that's when healing begins. That's when the answers that the, to the, the questions that they've always had are answered at that moment, right? Um, so it's just getting the communi open communication. So, Have you done that with witnesses to get them to no, remember no, what's no. going on? I, no, no. I've never, I've never utilized hypnotherapy at work. Um, just because I don't want the these one number one, there's a stigma with it, and um, you know, at that time I was a I was a homicide detective, and um, you know, I didn't want any excuse, you know, for the defense to say that I, you know, hypnotized poses somebody yeah, 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 to exactly. say something. So you know, there I, there's a strict. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, and I didn't, I never practiced on duty. Number one, right? So I just want to make. Are that. you still with the department? No, I, I retired in 2021. Okay. Yeah. So now you can just do it. Now, I, yeah, I can just do. I work with different types of clients. Um, you know, it's funny because I was a homicide detective at that time when I was in school, 
And when the detectives heard what I did, every morning there'd be somebody sitting at my little cubicle, right? Yeah. And waiting, and they just wanted to talk, right? Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where every morning I'd come in at uh, 7 a.m., somebody would always be waiting, right? And then they would unload things on me, Mm -hmm. personal things. Now, this is an open area, right? Open cubicles. So all detectives could hear what was was being said. And I'm like, hey, you might want to just not speak so loud. I'm not doing hypnotherapy or anything. I'm just listening to them, right? And this is where the coaching aspect comes into it because I realized really quick, if you give them an outlet, if you give them somebody to talk to, they'll talk. They want to It talk. can't just be anybody, though. It has yes. to be somebody who has been there, done that, walked the walk, talked the talk, and understand where they're coming from. Because you can go to, you know, any anybody who hasn't been there, and, and you can talk all day long. It's not going to help you. Well, and that's, that was one of the driving forces of why we created this program, because we've heard that. We've had so many people talk and be like, they don't... They might go see a therapist, they might go see somebody, and that's great, and there's benefit, and we support everybody, but they don't understand. I had my own personal experience when I was in my early 20s. Um, I was, my dad had passed away when I was 18, and I was, um, it's all good, there's a whole story there, it's all good. Um, But I was in my early 20s, I was trying to figure out how to be an adult, and I was a bank teller at the time, and we had free therapy sessions. I was like, I think I could utilize that. So I went. And I was raised by a cop to think like a cop. And the therapist just did not get it. And so we ended up getting into like an argument almost about how to, how to shoot. He was like, why would you shoot to kill? I'm like, what? Am I supposed to shoot him in the toe? <laughs> like, what are you? And so I ended up leaving the session and I was really upset by it. So I had my own personal like disconnect there. Um, but we hear it all the time. Like people just don't understand or... The off, it, to get an officer to actually open up and talk to somebody, first of all, we're going against decades of stigma where, like when Chris started, he was trained, you don't talk about it. Right. My dad, you don't talk about it. Right. And we're still kind of there, but now it's starting to open up. The blessing that's happened from the last three years of everybody being slapped in the face is wellness is now on the forefront. It's actually a topic of conversation okay uh, what happened three years ago to well, make with, that between happen? all of it between covid with the the movements with all of the politics with everything that's happened and unfolded within law enforcement um now it's like oh we actually have to talk about things we can't suppress it so like what chris was saying about the suicide rate those statistics were before covid before everything i don't i'm not I'm not even going to go into like what a statistic for that is because we don't know. It's off the charts and the bottom line is it's it's unacceptable. Suicide within law enforcement has become a cultural norm and that's not okay. So we need to, with coaching, we go not after something has happened. It's preventative maintenance. It's a proactive approach. So to be clear, we're not doing hypnotherapy with the coaching practice, but we took our experience with that, with the subconscious understanding that everything that happens to you in life stays in your subconscious, stays in your cell memory. And you need to be able to move that energy out. You need to be able to talk it out and you don't have to go back into the traumas that happened or to the bad calls that you were on, but you do need to move through that. So you're not holding it in and suppressing it. So when somebody, let's say the police chief or, you know, the sheriff, how do they recognize that one of their team members needs to talk to somebody? That's a good question. Um, some, sometimes they don't. 
right? Let's just let's just be be realistic. Yeah. They, they they don't know because depending on the size of your agency, if you're the chief, you're not going to know everybody personally in your on your agency, especially if you've got thousands of of officers. Well, we wish. Yeah, right. <laughs> smaller agencies, smaller agencies, you probably could get away with that, right? But even even with smaller agencies. Officers tend to suppress their feelings and the emotions. So nobody knows what they're going through. And that's, that's kind of what happened to me is I suppressed my emotions. I got to do some really cool things in law enforcement, but with that came different types of stress. And I didn't know how to alleviate that stress. And like Tammy said, early in my career, my first year on, after I was done undercover, I went and I, I got trained on, on FTO. And I, and I, FTO. Uh, field training officer. Right? Okay. Field training. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then I was assigned to my first team. And my sergeant on my team told me, hey, he sat down with me. He goes, never share your feelings with anybody. Not <gasps> to counselors, not to psychiatrists. Because if you do... It'll go on your permanent record. Yeah, you're committing career suicide. Yes. And you, you may not be fit for duty. Right? right? So as a new young officer, you know, I'm 22 years old. I'm like, and, and this is my boss, so I have a lot of respect for him. I'm like... I'm taking that like, yeah, literally, like don't good advice. Don't speak, yeah, don't talk about it. And so I did that. I suppressed it for years, and throughout those years, you know, I can remember one uh, one incident, which was actually three, but three weeks in a row, I gave CPR to to dead babies, mm. right? They SIDS, right? Early morning hours, and I was, you know, when you're when you're brand new, you work the graveyard shift, right? Exactly. So parents wake up early morning and they find that their babies weren't breathing. So I gave CPR to these three babies three weeks in a row, and I never got debriefed on it. Nobody ever talked to me about it. I didn't know that, you know, we needed to talk about it. I just thought, oh, this is just part of the job, right? Yeah. And I could I could operate for so many years that way, but then eventually what happened? Eventually, I couldn't hold it in anymore, and then that's when the the the... The, the collapse, the internal collapse happened within me. It's like, what's happening? Because now things are changing. Things are, I'm getting very emotional for no reason. Um, I don't want to be at work. I'm disgruntled at work. I don't, I don't like my command, right? Why? You know, why am I feeling this way? And I actually became very disgruntled. And part of it was because they should have recognized that I was going through something. But here's the problem. How are they going to know that if I don't tell them? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's and, a vicious circle, isn't it? It, it is, right? And so they're not going to know. So how am I going to get help if they don't know this? And so that's why part of coaching is we... we I, what I love about coaching is the talk. We talk a lot, right? Or We don't talk, but the client talks. We have the 80-20 uh, rule. They speak 80% of the time, and we speak 20%, right? Because they need to vent. Allow them to vent and to talk. By doing this, what's happening is we're creating this normalcy of it's okay to talk. It's okay to talk about your stress. It's okay to talk about that case that I, I went on where I had to give CPR to a dead baby. Because maybe that's all they need to help them to get through another day, right? But by making it normal, they may need to talk to somebody like a psychiatrist or a counselor. That's a completely different animal than what we do. But if they're used to talking to people, maybe th- it won't be a, such an issue or problem to go talk to a counselor or a psychiatrist. Normalize it. Exactly. Yeah, Normalize and it, it. it should be normalized. I, I know some of our deputies, you know, people are trying to come across 
the desert into America and they're dying out there with the heat and everything, our deputies have to go out there and process that. Mm -hmm. And how many times do you do that before it really affects you? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not easy. These are people. You know, that's somebody's mom, that's somebody's kid, right? And, you know, we can't, as much as you want to, that same person, the same sergeant that told me not to share my feelings and emotion, emotions when I was in, so fast forward years later, and now I'm a homicide detective and, and, and he's in a, in a high level and uh, within the department now in command. And he actually made a statement to all the detectives that if you can't handle this, you, you knew what you were getting into. And no, if, you didn't. And, and if, well, this is what he said, <laughs> right? Yeah. He goes, and if you can't handle this, there's always a spot on patrol for you. Now, what kind of message does that send? Yeah, that's, right? that's, is he still with the department? No, no. He, funny thing is, um, he, he, he got reassigned to go back to patrol and he decided to retire at that point. <laughs> right? How ironic <laughs> is that? goes round right? comes round. Exactly. And exactly. that's a little word for the department. Stop treating patrol like it's punishment. That's not fair to anybody. And, that, and then you wonder why you don't have anybody that wants to work patrol when you do that kind of thing. So our, our request out there, stop, stop it. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, no, that's a very good point because, you know, if you're in a specialty unit, that's always going to be right there. If you don't like it or if you get in trouble, what happens? You go back to patrol. So if you treat patrol like it's punishment, what do you think the patrol officers, how do they feel? They're working in punishment daily, right? Yeah. And and the reality is patrol, they're the ones that do everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're the ones that respond to it's every It's like the call. trash force. Yeah. They get it all. Well, they're, yeah. And, and oh. it doesn't matter. You know, when you're a detective, if you're a homicide detective and a, a car accident happens on your way to lunch, do you think those detectives are going to get out and deal with a car accident? You know, some Maybe. might, some might, <laughs> right? Others won't. Yeah. Because they have that thought of, well, I'm a homicide detective. I'm not a motor officer or I'm not a patrol officer. So that's not my responsibility. Well, no, it is because you're public safety, right? Yeah. You're but trained. A, a patrol officer won't do that, though. A patrol officer will go to every single call, right? Because that's what they do. And they're like jack of all trades, right? They're, they're doing uh, investigations, right? They're locking down a scene. They're going to calls that it's not safe. It's not safe until they make it safe, yeah. right? So patrol, they're the meat and potatoes of any police agency. And I sometimes some agencies, they just don't give that respect to their patrol officers. But those are the men and women they, that allow the department to run smoothly because they are out there every single day dealing with stress in real time, right? Domestic violence calls. Yeah. yeah. Serving a warrant calls. These are like the worst. Oh, yeah. Yep. And again, it's not safe until they make it safe. You see, a homicide detective will respond to a scene. The scene is already safe, right? Patrol made it safe. So now the detectives can do their investigation. But a patrol officer, they have to go. They don't even know what they're going into nine times out of ten, right? And then they arrive on scene, and now they've got to deal with it. How stressful is that for these for these men and women? Yeah. So, well, and, this. and one of the things with coaching, too, that we really emphasize is almost does count. So in law enforcement, it's typically not until after a critical incident happens. Then you have a mandatory debrief, debrief. You, and then you might, depending on what happened, you might be mandated to go talk to a therapist or somebody. And that's usually only enough just to be cleared to be fit for duty and go back to work. Do it again. And suck it up, buttercup, has been the mindset for decades 
Um, but one of the things is almost does count. You know, if you have a routine traffic stop and somebody pulls a gun or you know they were going to, but nothing happened, nobody, it didn't actually happen, but you knew it was, that still affects the officer. They're now going to either be reactive or hesitant or scared, or they're going to trigger somewhere else down the line. And you need to be debriefing on the almost and honoring it. Like not just brushing off, oh, nothing actually happened. Do your job. No. It came this close. It came this close and it did affect you. So that's something too. With coaching, so the way that our our system set up is that you can work with a coach it's all online virtual. We don't record um, any of our sessions. Um, and you can talk to a coach anywhere across the country so that it's outside of your professional and social bubble. Because sometimes you just need to vent. Somebody, You might be pissed because somebody got promoted over you. You can't complain about it in the department, but you need to talk to somebody. And it's, you can't really dump it on your spouse because they don't get it or whatever. Um, you don't want to burden your they spouse. They don't want to burden the spouse. So, But you need to talk to somebody that understands. So one of the things with coaching is we listen, we don't commiserate, and then we help you reframe and figure out what's the, you know, what's the lesson? What's the blessing? What's the positive to this? Where do you really want to be with that? So, Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. This is Sherry asking you to save the dates. On August 5th, Law Matters is hosting a free double feature movie presentation on topics that affect all youth in today's digital world. Bullying, sextortion, and how your children are being sex trafficked right out of your home. Every teacher, parent, and age-appropriate student should attend. After each movie, there will be a Q&A panel made up of law enforcement and prosecutors to answer your questions. Tune in to Law Matters every Saturday morning at 8, and updates will be posted on the lawmatters1030.org website as details develop. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, reminding you that infants and toddlers do not experience heat as adults do. Consider this when bringing your young ones on a hike in temperatures of over 80 degrees. You do not want to risk that child having heat stroke or being arrested for child endangerment. If you're thinking of a trek through nature, plan ahead, look ahead, and use your head. Your future depends on it. Save your phone's battery life so when you get lost, we may contact you. Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. Hi, this is Sherry asking you to save the dates. On August 5th, Law Matters is hosting a free double feature movie presentation on topics that affect all youth in today's digital world. Bullying, sextortion, and how your children are being sex trafficked right out of your home. Every teacher, parent, and age-appropriate student should attend. After each movie, there will be a Q&A panel made up of law enforcement and prosecutors to answer your questions. Tune in to Law Matters every Saturday morning at 8, and updates will be posted on the lawmatters1030.org website as details develop. Thanks for staying with us. In studio, we have Chris and Tammy, the founders of Law Enforcement Coaching. And we've been talking about why we need coaching, the effects of coaching. And do you coach spouses? 
Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> that is my my area um, because I am the family and the spouse dynamic. So I'm also transparency. Chris and I are in relationship with each other. So <laughs> I deal with the, now I'm very thankful he's retired, but the active part of it, um, we help with the mindset, the support, because there really isn't that many support systems for spouses or not positive ones. There's a lot of, uh, again, commiserating, a lot of uh, looking at the worst case, the fear and we are actually going to, we haven't launched it yet, but we're going to be uh, launching in the near future. It's called Wife Wellness. And that's going to be a haven of support for first responder uh, spouses and significant others so that we can keep the conversation in a positive way and kind of shed light. And then also kind of teach some of the newer spouses to law enforcement kind of the do's and don'ts. Like don't put all your dirty laundry on social media. It can come back and affect your perf- the professional side of things. <laughs> okay, I... I heard you say wife. How about spouse? Because there are some females that are married to guys who are yes. not long piano. So spouse. Significant others, whatever that may be in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> okay. So how do you see that playing out? What do you mean? Tell me more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. In order to get to the spouse, how do you how do you see that playing out? How do you plan on making yourself accessible to the spouses of all the law enforcement agents who may or may not want their spouse going through coaching. Um, so again, so with coaching, everything's confidential. So nobody knows unless somebody, the client tells anybody, nobody's going to know that they're utilizing coaching. Okay. Um, I work with spouses right now. Um, we, through our law enforcement coaching, depending on the department, if they want to do um a contract with us where they're providing services to their employees, they can also have the option of providing services to the significant others and adult family members, immediate family members to have that additional support. Um, So we have clients that come to us that way right now. Um, As we move forward in the next direction, uh, we'll be opening it up through social media channels as well to bring in more traffic for that. Um, And it's just going to be more like discussion in that one. But the coaching with law enforcement coaching, we do offer those confidential one-on-one sessions for the significant others. And depending on the agency too, um, if they they want to include spouses in on the coaching with their officers, uh, we'll go and we'll onboard the agency and we'll do a meet and greet where we'll invite the spouses, we'll invite all the officers uh, to meet us. Yeah. Right, because we want to do the the formal introduction, and we like to do things in person. You know, it makes it more personable. Um, so, it, it, there's many ways that we can uh, communicate to spouses to let them know that we're here, and if they're if they need our services, you know, we'll we'll always be here for them. Yeah, because you understand what's happening, and you know, you talked about a close call, and I know one of the officers in Tucson did have a close call, and my first thought was his wife because i know her and it was traumatic absolutely you know you don't you don't come that close to losing it and not have an effect on the entire family it's got a ripple effect so i'm glad you're talking about spouses too. absolutely give me some success stories sure um you know well before i retired that last year right we were really getting into coaching and and really putting our business out there. Uh, I was I was at work, right? And I would I would check out at a fire station and do paperwork, right? Typical stuff you do on patrol. And 
because all of our cars have GPSs, the other officers working, they knew where I was. Well, it never failed. An officer would pull in to the fire station, come into the office where I'm doing my paperwork. So they would sit down and then they would vent. They would just talk. And some of these officers, I've never carried a conversation with, right? But this happened all the time. And there were some officers in uniform that cried during this. And the first time that happened to me, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I've never seen a cop in uniform cry that wasn't at a funeral, right? But but that was significant to me because I recognized what kind of stress has this person been under that they're going to cry in front of me. They don't even really know me very well. But how stressful have they been dealing with? You know, what kind of stresses have they been dealing with? Somebody turned on the faucet. And it's just Yeah. But again, because they heard of, of what I did with coaching, right, with hypnotherapy. And again, I didn't do any hypno hypnosis at work, but I could do many coaching sessions, right? And so that became normal for me. It's just talking, allowing these officers to vent. And like Tammy said earlier, it's difficult to get officers to open up and talk, right? So anytime an officer would come to me and open up, I would stop. I would drop whatever I was doing and listen. Just yeah, sit pay and attention. Listen. Yeah, right? Because I may never get this opportunity again. Nobody may ever get this opportunity again if this officer decides to close up again. So uh, that became normal. So there were multiple times, right? And I, I consider those success stories. Absolutely. Right? And even just walking through the department, right? Just walking in the main uh, building, I'd get officers, hey, can I talk to you? And I'd step aside and again, they'd open up and then they'd start getting teary-eyed. You know, and of course, I'd have to escort them someplace to where nobody could see this. And I was like, wow, like this is the power of what coaching does, right? I'm not giving him advice or her advice. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not telling him, oh, here's why you're feeling this way. No, I'm just simply listening. I'm just allowing, I'm being the sounding board so that they can vent, right? And it, and it helps them. You know, as a matter of fact, funny story, uh, before my retirement, on my retirement day, we had a ceremony. And we'll talk about the, the importance of having a, a retirement ceremony. But I'm in the locker room getting my, my Class A uniform on, right? Because in 15 minutes, I'm going to be retiring. And all my family members, friends are all in the amphitheater waiting for me to get this retirement ceremony started. So I'm at my locker, right? And I'm standing there. I'm in my undies and whatever, you know. <laughs> and I'm, and then an officer comes over to me, and he starts to vent. He starts uh-huh. to open up. Uh, now, I'm doing a coaching, like I said, I'm doing a coaching session, uh, you know. In your underwear. In my underwear, pretty much, in the <laughs> locker room. And now that everybody knows this. <laughs> Proud moment for me. But again... I can't just let this officer just walk away. Yeah. And so I sat and I listened to him. And after he was finished venting, I mean, I literally had like, you know, two minutes and it was get dressed. Good. Yeah, to get dressed. Retire. <laughs> and I, I walked into my retirement and I, I mean, right at that moment, I might have even been a minute late, right? Walking in there with, you know, people looking at me like, can't believe you're making us wait, right? You know, <laughs> but they didn't know. They didn't know yeah. what I was doing, right? Yeah. So I consider those to be success stories. Um, well, and the, do you work with firefighters? Yes, and so we do. But there's a rivalry between police and fire. And right now, we do not have fire as any of our coaches. Eventually, we will get to that point. But we are open to working with fire if they don't mind being coached by cops. <laughs> well, it's a it's a friendly rivalry, yeah. you know, with with Gilbert. 
with Gilbert Fire Department and Gilbert PD. There's a great relationship there. I, you know, I, I, I love those. Say they all work together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, not, and unfortunately, not every agency's not not. They don't get along sometimes. We've got a great fire department that works really well with our all our law enforcement agents. I mean, there's you know friendly banter that goes back and forth. Yeah, but they all work well together. And that's awesome, right? Because it's a total team effort, right? Exactly. When we go with these calls, we're all working together. And, uh, you know, I love our firemen and women. They're they're awesome people. So, um, but yeah, eventually we want to branch out with fire department as well. And I was going to say for, um, we had in the beginning a chief and he kind of joked about it, but there was so much truth to his joke. He was like, oh, you mean there's a resource for me besides curling up under my desk into a ball and crying? <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, because we do, we have, um, you know, we our coaches run the gauntlet. We have chief, we have detective, we have everybody in there. So there are corrections, we have dispatch. Um, so that way there's a experienced and competent person that understands the language of all the different levels. And, you know, we have more success stories. We have chiefs, you know, that will reach out in the middle of the day just being like, hey, can you talk? And it's like, we're there. Like, we ideally, yes, you want to book a session in advance, but our coaches are so like, how can we help you? What do you need? If you're ready to talk, just like Chris was saying, we're there to talk. Yeah, sometimes you have to talk like right then. Right then. He said, waiting a week doesn't work exactly and even when we were uh training our new uh, our new coaches um you know we put them through training and, and they're not going to skate through the training that we push-ups running a mile yeah, exactly right <laughs> <laughs> but we do a final practicum where tammy and i will will watch them and we'll evaluate them and it's a pass or fail right and uh one of our coaches in training actually uh their client was a person that he didn't know. He didn't know this client, but she was a, a sergeant with the police department somewhere in the country. And she was just doing it as a favor for, for a friend of a friend, right? She didn't know what coaching was, the sergeant, right? And so in this session, it just so happened that that sergeant the day before responded to a, a critical call. It was a call of a, of a drowned child, huh. right? And so since that happened, she's been debating in her head, uh, did I make the right decisions at the scene, right? And so, of course, what was the subject of that session, right? It's a practicum, but it's a real session, right? It was about whether or not she made the right decision. You know, she was second-guessing herself. And so the coach, what the coach did was he asked her questions. You know, how did you, how do you think you made the family feel when you arrived on scene? And she goes, well, uh, the mom was hysterical, and so I had her wait at front at the front of the house and wait for a fire department to get there and to direct fire where to go. So that kept her busy and it kept her away from the, from scene. the scene, right? And he goes, okay, so how did you think she felt? She goes, I think she felt giving Helpful. her something to do. Yeah, like she's doing something, yeah. right? Not just feeling... Um, Standing around doing nothing. Exactly, right? And then the, the coach asked, well, how do you think you made your officers on scene feel? And she goes, well... Uh, I didn't tell them what to do. I let them do their job because they knew what they were doing. They were giving CPR. They were giving uh, first aid, life-saving efforts. Um, I just managed the scene, right? Um, And so I think I gave them comfort is what she said because she goes, I remember when I was a patrol officer at a critical incident, it always made me feel good when my supervisors were on scene. A senior, yeah. Right? Somebody experienced. Exactly. And she goes, and that's what I wanted to give them. So... I think they felt good with me being there. And and then at that very moment, Tammy and I saw it. You could see 
it was the like light bulb. A, yeah, like a weight was lifted off of her shoulders, and she's like, "I did the right thing." Yeah, she goes, "I did the best that I could do with what I had." Yeah, and that's the right thing. And and the coach is like, "And that's all you can do," and that was all that was needed in that session. Imagine that. Imagine if that sergeant didn't have somebody to talk to about to this. work through that exactly. And it's a snowball effect, right? What happens with a snowball when it rolls downhill? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, what happens? It I've collapses. been at the bottom of that hill. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So, no, that's a great story. Right now, you know, maybe she just needed somebody to talk to at that moment, right? Now, we're not saying that she doesn't need psychiatry or counseling. You know, that, again, that's a different animal. But at that moment, here's what she needed. She worked through it, and yeah. it it was a light bulb moment for her. Yeah. yeah, this was this is what I was supposed to do. Exactly right. We yeah. we he he reframed everything for her so that she could look at it from a different angle, a different view. Instead well, sometimes of, answering a call, you're on autopilot. You know what you're supposed to do, and it's it's like a reflex. And yet afterwards, you're. You process it and like, wow, did I do it right? Did I do everything I was supposed to do? And, you know, in the moment you're doing, you're reacting well, as trained. Well, you're responding, right? Well, okay. you're, you're responding because you're trained, right? And and that's, we, we talk about this all the time, right? It is a response. And, and so if you respond because of training, guess what? You're making the right decisions. Yeah. <laughs> So we right? teach yeah. with reacting. So reacting is coming from an emotional place. So somebody cuts you off in traffic, you react and flip them and off. Flip or them off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a reaction. But responding is coming from a controlled place. Um, and I just want to give a shout out really quick to the dispatch because dispatchers, yeah. we say this, and first responder in the world of first responders, dispatch is the first to respond, but they are typically the last to receive support. And they are... They need support too. So we do coach dispatch. We provide that support. And then I'm just like saying, hey, departments, go go give your dispatchers a hug or a coffee gift card or something. They need you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah and, and exactly. Pat- and patrol officers, you know, be respectful yes. to your dispatchers because they are taking care of you. And it, it, in the beginning of my career, one of the things we had to do is we had to sit and dispatch for an entire shift. Right? That's good. Yeah. And I hope, yeah, I hope sit all in their agents, shoes. Yeah. And, and I, I'll tell you, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that. Their job <laughs> it is too stressful. Uh, by the end of the day, I was like, I need to get out of here. I can't deal with I all need, this. I need coaching. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's what traumatized me was <laughs> sitting in for 10 hours in dispatch, right? So who do you work with? What agencies do you work with right now? So, or are you allowed to say? Well, I won't say individuals, but right now we're currently onboarding 12 departments up in Washington State. And it's it's really special um, because it's back where I grew up and I get to go back and give back to my community. Um, we're going to be announcing all of that officially very soon. Um, that's where we're at currently right now. Um, we, like locally within Arizona, we'd love to have conversation. Um, we've worked with a couple different departments throughout the Valley, um, but just kind of inter- because coaching is a new concept within law enforcement. Coaching in like every other realm is normal and everybody has coaches athletes business people everybody has coaches except for law enforcement so it's a new concept but it's not anything weird and we don't bring any of the woo woo aspects into it <laughs> so well yeah we translate it so that law enforcement so that officers understand what we're talking about right that's the that's where i think there's a big disconnect when it comes to you know the holistic community is how do you translate what they do to law enforcement t- 
talk, right? Right. You got to have cop talk. They've got to understand, you know, oh, this works because of this, right? This is why we do it this way. So you've got to explain it to them and talk their language. And that's what's so important. Uh, And that's what makes us so special, you know, with, with law enforcement coaching is we understand the culture, right? We understand how to teach. We understand how to get the message across so that they understand it, right? And they can use it. And it's actually realistic and applicable. Yeah. So the people that you're coaching are in the department or retired from the department? How does that part work? So we will, we do, okay. So a couple of different things. One, we ideally would get a contract with a department where the department either funds it or they we work with the department to get grant funding so that it's funded so that they can cover everybody in the department so they have access. Because I personally don't believe that first responders should be having to pay out of pocket for wellness services. True that. However, that's not necessarily available or there's some people that just don't understand the benefits. So uh, we are relaunching our website within the next week and opening it up so that people can pay out of pocket if they choose to. Um, retirement, we can come back to that because that's a big topic. Uh, the other thing that we're working on is uh, getting sponsors. And so a sponsor can basically, <clears throat> excuse me, say if they do like a $50,000 sponsorship package, that would cover up to around 300 prepaid sessions for officers across the country. We keep a pool of funds so that when officers reach out to us individually saying, hey, can I do coaching, but I can't afford it, money doesn't have to be the reason they don't get the support that they need. Um, so that's a couple of the different ways that we're going about it. With retirement, retirement is a huge conversation that needs to be had because there has not been, usually it's in the beginning of a career that they kind of give you like, hey, you need to save and do all of these things, but that's at the beginning of the career. So then when you're reaching retirement, it's not just the financial part of it. You need to be mentally prepared. Uh, we have a coach who he did over 30 years and he didn't prepare. So the next day he woke up and he's like, I don't have a gun. I don't have a badge. I don't know who I am. And he's, he spiraled into a little bit of depression. Fortunately, his wife saw the things and got him into counseling and therapy. And now he's one of our like top coaches because he's been there. And he well, that's what out. I was wondering. Where do you find your coaches? Do you pick people out of the department that you're potentially working with? Or, you know, how does somebody qualify to be a coach? So they uh, usually it's referrals to us, um, and then they have to go through all of our process. And we have a very um, thorough vetting process, and it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care. I don't care if you're chief. I don't care if you're Tony Robbins. Everybody goes through the same thing. You're going to go through the application, the interview process, the background check. You're going to go through the training. You have to pass the training in order to be one of our coaches, and we don't make any exceptions. We have a very high standard of excellence for our coaches. And that makes and that makes for a tight knit group because you have to earn your place on our team, and you know again you, you, we're never going to give anybody instant credibility. We don't care if you're a chief or you're a psychiatrist. You're going to have to go through the same training that we all went through, right? Because that's what makes a tight cohesive unit. How many years does it take to be a coach? Oh, it, 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 <laughs> are you <Do> interested? You, <laughs> college credits? <laughs> no, you know one one we want to look at your police experience. What have you done? In, in, in your in, with your agency, right? Because the more things that you have experienced in law enforcement are, means the more you can draw from with, right. with any coaching session. Like with me, all the different units that I went through, I can draw from any one of those because there's a lesson learned in each one of those different positions, right? Absolutely. So you, you bring that in. And if you get these 20-year officers, right, who just retired or on the verge of retirement, 
these are the men and women that have created that magic formula of how to get through an entire career. That is that is invaluable, right? How did they do that? Because all these young officers, they want to know. They want to learn from that individual. How did you make it? They through want the mentorship. Career? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And that's something also that we're uh, rolling out too is academy coaching. Because if you can get your recruits talking, teaching them to talk at the beginning of their career, my, my sense is that you do that with your recruits. Within five years, you completely change the infrastructure of wellness within your department because you have trained them. You've broken that stigma. You've changed the dynamic. They were taught from right out the gate. You do reach out to somebody. It's okay to talk about it. And then they're learning different coaching tools that they can implement into their wheelhouse as well. So do these coaches get paid or is it a volunteer no, thing? No, they get paid. So mm-hmm. yeah. anybody who's maybe retired recently could become a coach. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the, how, the, how many months or weeks does it take to be trained by you to be the coach that you want them to be? You can do the training realistically in about 30 days. It's self-paced, but the whole point is the way that we do our training is you have to coach yourself first. So you have to be able to learn the lessons because we've had some people try to go through they did it in two days they're like we're done i'm like what did you learn what did you take away from that because you need to make sure that you're from a a well-balanced place and you understand that these techniques that we've put created they actually work so you need to practice them just like anything so you can do it in 30 days on the short term um but you it the whole point is you have to implement and you have to pass our practicums in order to become an actual coach. Yeah, and we broke down each each module just like a briefing training, yeah. right? You know, there, it's not going to be hours long. It's probably going to be about, you know, a 30-minute video on here's a coaching technique, a specific technique. Here's why you would implement it. Here's how to use it. And then they will get a client, a family friend or whoever, and they'll practice that, right? And then we have an evaluation form so that their their practice client can evaluate them okay is this coaching with you do they have to go to you to be coached or is it something they do on their own we have like a minute left um so in order to learn more about it they can reach out to us they can email admin at lawenforcementcoaching.com to get information and um with the training, once they go through the interview and vetting process, then they are they get a login to the course, and then they can go through the course at their own pace. But then we also do, uh, they'll be working closely with us because we, we're not just trying to create a business that has a bunch of people. It's a community, and we're a tight-knit group. They have to be qualified to do highly what trained. they do. Highly trained. Yeah, highly yes. trained, absolutely. Okay. Numbers mean nothing to us. It's the quality, not the quantity. Yeah. Okay. Numbers mean nothing. Phone number, quick. <laughs> uh, I'll give you my... Well, my personal self. <laughs> <laughs> well, just look at law enforcement coaching. Yeah, it's on the website. It's on it's the website. website. <laughs> There's a business website, and I don't have it memorized. It's you know, it's it's a four eight zero number. <laughs> okay, I want everybody to be at the double feature movie on August fifth. See you there. Till next week. Shop local. Stay safe.
This is Sherry asking you to save the dates. On August 5th, Law Matters is hosting a free double feature movie presentation on topics that affect all youth in today's digital world. Bullying, sextortion, and how your children are being sex trafficked right out of your home. Every teacher, parent, and age-appropriate student should attend. After each movie, there will be a Q&A panel made up of law enforcement and prosecutors to answer your questions. Tune in to Law Matters every Saturday morning at 8, and updates will be posted on the lawmatters1030.org website as details develop. 